All right, let's go ahead and uh, open our Bibles up to Psalm 13. Psalm 13, a little bit of a throwback day where you get to hear me a lot. So um, with that, I would cover your prayers that I can handle this. I haven't done it in a long time. So um, yeah, um, before I dive in this morning... I'm just going to give you a little bit of update where we're at um, in two things. Uh, first, our Summer in the Psalm series was originally going to conclude today, um, but we're not. I'm going to go on through August since it's kind of summer-ish, um, and then in September um, we'll dive into something a little different. All right. The second thing is an update based on last Sunday evening. We had our members meeting, and we... Um, as a church, voted um, to begin a building fund campaign thing um, to begin praying about what our next step would look like uh, to prepare um, for, I guess, building a building, uh, building a, a place that will not simply just be a Sunday morning occupant service place, but my hope is that it would be a ministry hub for all week um, for different ministries and stuff. So um, if you will, just be praying with us through that. Uh, pray that God would um, lead us in the right direction and that he would continue to provide as well. Okay? Now, back to Psalm 13. You know, one of the, the beauties to me of exposition or, or walking through um, the scripture the way we do, uh, line by line, chapter by chapter, um, as we work through a book of the Bible, is being able to see how God gives us exactly what we need um, a lot of times before we realize we need it. And the journey through Psalms up to this point has actually been filled with many lament Psalms, which are deeply emotional, um, usually cries for help. Um, they're very kind of down, I guess you would say. But in, in the midst of those psalms, we see splatters of and glimpses of hope. And, and the thing is, the reason those two points connect, that is, seeing how God provides what we need before we need it, um, and the, the laments, the, the deep emotional psalms that um, are splattered with hope, is because everybody in here is going to fall into one of three categories. You've either been through a devastating trial, you're going through a devastating trial, or you will go through a devastating trial. There's, there's no if, and, or buts about that. Um, living life as a human, walking the path of the Christian life, following Jesus... It's going to be a difficult road. Um, and anybody that tells you otherwise has obviously not read the Word of God. Um, Jesus clearly said, if you love me, if you follow me, then you're going to you know, be hated because I was hated. I mean, that, that's part of the road of walking the Christian life is, is being persecuted for the faith. Um, it's facing trials. It's um, facing temptations. It, it's... A difficult task, but it's a task that's worthy of taking. It's a path worthy of walking. 
And, and these psalms that we have been working through and, and have been working through um, leading up to this point have really been preparing us for those times. Um, again, I, I don't know exactly where everybody in here is at. I know where some of you are, and I know some of the trials that um, you have faced are facing. You know, none of us know the trials we will face. But Psalm 13 kind of acts as a synopsis for what we're walking through or what we will walk through as it um, really helps us to see how we are to approach the storms of life. And it helps us because we see David doing the very same thing. Um, David is moving in this psalm, which is a really short psalm, so it's interesting that uh, a psalm that could be a synopsis of so many so far can be so short, but it, it really does, and it, it helps us to walk a path from despair to delight. And, and that's where we'll be today, is moving from despair to delight. And, and right off the bat, you notice that it's a psalm. It says, to the choir master, Psalm of David. Um, most scholars believe that to the choir master actually is a psalm written, a song written to God, as he is the chief choir master. And it's a psalm from David. Now, we don't know the exact circumstances of when he wrote this, but that doesn't really matter um, because it actually rings true no matter the circumstance, no matter the depth of the pain, no matter the depth of the trial. Walking the Christian life, again, is going to be one filled with hardships and difficulties, but we can see past all of those things to the hope that Christ gives. And so Psalm 13, our main idea today is this. That when our hearts are discouraged, we must turn to Jesus in prayer and delight in His gift of salvation. So I'm going to pray for us really quick, and we'll dive into Psalm 13 um, together. Our Father, uh, as we prepare now to open Your Word uh, together, God, we are coming trusting that You have prepared us to be here. God, preparing our hearts to hear the words that You would have for us, the, the message that You would have for us to hear. And so we ask God that you would speak clearly to us now through your word. That we would be a people who come face to face with who you are. That we would see your goodness. That we would see your glories. That we would not shy away from the truth of the trials in our lives. But that we would be able to see you shining through all of those. That our hope comes from you and you alone. And so we do ask that you would move in our time together to make much of yourself as you encourage our hearts through the reading and the teaching of your word. So we do ask you to bless the reading of your word. And God, I ask that you would speak through your spirit who is within me, the words that you would have every one of us to hear this morning. So that regardless of where we've been or where we're going, we will be able to walk through the storms of life as we lean into our King Jesus. So maybe we may we be encouraged by your word, God and strengthened by the truth of who you are. 
by the end of this time together today, as a people be brought to delight in you. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we dive into Psalm 13, the very first point that we come to is a discouraged heart. David starts, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 13 begins in a very dark place. David four times reiterates the question, How long, O Lord? And it's a dark place because this is after many times of David telling us that God doesn't forget the afflicted, to be encouraged about the hope we have in Him, to continue to fight, to continue to press on regardless of the circumstances. And yet here he is, after all of those times given thanks to God's character and God's promise, we now find David doubting the many hopes that he had proclaimed already. And, and he's obviously facing an agonizing trial, and, and, and it seems actually that he's actually questioning whether or not the Lord is ignoring him. Now, before we immediately want to cast David off and say, you hypocrite, we need to understand that this is us. It doesn't matter where our relationship is with Christ, there are going to be times where we doubt the very things we say we believe. We never doubt the nature and the character of God, but we, we grow distant and, and we forget the goodness of God. And that's where we see David. And, and truth be told, God had not forgotten David. God was not ignoring David. In fact, what's probably happening here is David had taken his eyes off of the Lord rather than the Lord taking his eyes off of David. Now, what I'm not saying is that if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus that we're going to live a happy and prosperous life. I'm not saying that. That it's going to be a life filled with ease because it's certainly not. We've already established it's going to be a very trying and challenging life. But what we can say is that as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we find joy in Him that allows us to maintain through those trials, that allows us to press on through the storms that we face. And for me, as I have been as clear and transparent as possible with you, something that I've come to learn in my own struggles with life and depression is that I often find when I am the lowest, it's when I'm not in communion with God, like I should be. When I'm not in the Word like I need to be, that's when I get dry. When my relationship with Jesus is not as fervent as it could be, I'm struggling. And I don't know, again, where you're at. You probably could echo a lot of those similar thoughts. But it's a true thing that when we allow our relationship with the Lord to get dry, we begin to sink. Think about Peter, right? So 
New Testament. Disciples are on the boat. See Jesus walking on the water. Obviously, they're probably in a little bit of a tizzy about that. You know, it's not normal to see somebody walking across the water. Jesus calls to Peter and says, let's go, come on. Well, Peter, obviously being the guy who never thinks before he acts, decides it's okay, let's do this. And he, in faith, steps out of the boat and he begins to walk towards Jesus across the water. And everything's good, right? Until he what? Until he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to sink in despair as he notices all the impending dangers surrounding him. Is that not a picture of our lives? That's what we see happening here. David had taken his eyes off of the goodness of the Lord. And he began to feel the weight of the world pressing on him. And the truth of the text and the truth of Scripture and the truth of who God is is that when the weight of the world is on your shoulders and your hearts are discouraged, simply turn your eyes back to Jesus. Rest in Him. He is the author and finisher of our faith. It says that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it about to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. So why would we take our eyes away from Him who is the one to help lead us and the one who is only strong enough to sustain us and carry us through? So in the beginning of this psalm, we see David with a discouraged heart. And I would say that we all could, at some point, either in the past or in the present or possibly into the future, we will be able to sympathize greatly with David's cries here. But then we move to a desperate prayer. So as a response to David's discouraged heart, he begins to cry out to God in desperate prayer. I love this quote from Matthew Henry. He says, Days of trouble must always be days of prayer. Such a simple but profound statement for us. We should always be praying to the Lord. But we also have the confidence of knowing that when everything begins to seemingly crumble around us, then we could call out to Him and He hears us. He hears our prayers And as we see here in verses 3 and 4, it says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Notice the agony here. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. In verse 3, we see David crying out to God, Consider and answer me. It's this call of desperation to the Lord, but he's also calling understanding that the Lord had been good and he had proven his goodness over and over and over so he knows that he can come confidently to him in prayer and we can do the very same thing regardless of the circumstances around us. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Church, we can come boldly to Jesus in prayer because of the work He has done on Calvary for us. That's the beauty of living in grace. 
understanding that Jesus has already done everything possible for me to be saved, all I simply do is trust. Believe in Him and He will save the promise of Scripture. And here we see that David's trials have led him to this point where he's now believing, at least for a moment, that without God's intervention, he would face death. So it's obviously a big deal. It's not like he lost his car keys or he lost his job or, or something, you know, which are big deals. But whatever this trial that he is facing is, he's thinking he's going to possibly lose his life. And that's a dark place. To feel so helpless and so hopeless that death could come. Now, while, again, most of us have faced devastating trials or either in devastating trials or will face devastating trials, I don't know that many of us have been to a place where without the Lord intervening, I'm not saying it hasn't happened, but possibly most of us have not been to the point without God intervening we would be dead at this point. Because of the circumstances in our life. Now, some of us may. And I praise God for His goodness and graciousness to bring us to this point. To bring us through. But the thing is, is that we will face hardships. And when we do face hardships, we have to ask ourselves the question, where are we going to turn? Am I going to turn in confidence, trusting in Jesus and go to Him in prayer, asking Him to do what only He can do? Or do I try to continue to press on in my own power and strength? That's the big question, right? So am I trusting in the work of Jesus, or am I trying to accomplish life on my own? This is a truth for me that has been monumental over the last couple months. Again, like I mentioned earlier, I've tried to be as transparent as possible about the struggles that I face. And it comes and it goes. It's like the wind. I never know when it's going to come or go. But leading into this summer, I was not in a good spot. I was very tired and dry. And because of God's graciousness, and speaking to me through his word, and, and even through resources, uh, another book, and, and other people, and, and podcasts, and sermons that I began to listen to all around the same time, what I began to realize that I had, in a sense, taken my eyes away from him. It doesn't mean I wasn't walking with the Lord, but I was not walking with the Lord like I should have been walking with the Lord. And, and, and the reason I say that is because I simply wasn't believing everything that I was saying. And most of us could probably resonate with that. That there are seasons where we, you know, we know what we believe and we know why we believe it, yet we catch ourselves not living that way. Right? It's, it's easy for me to stand and preach the sovereign grace of God. It's easy for me to stand and say, in times of trouble, press into the Lord. It's, it's a whole other thing to do it. 
And that's where I found myself. Um, working completely in my power and doing everything within my own abilities to, to study the word faithfully and to preach the grace of God faithfully, but I wasn't believing the grace of God. And I was trying to do everything on my own, on my own power. Not resting like I should, not you know, resting in hope of the hope of God like I should. And those things begin to just crumble me. And the truth is, is that for all of us, as we begin to understand that all of us who have trusted in Christ, as we begin to understand what Jesus has done for us, it allows us to live in grace, right? To no longer try to do it on my own power, to no longer try to do it in my own prowess and authority, but to be able to rest completely and confidently in the work of Jesus. Because when we do that, that's when we begin to enjoy Him. We begin to enjoy Him knowing that He has chosen to use me, even though He doesn't need me, and that I get to do the work that He has set me apart to do. Just like you get to do the work He has set you apart to do, regardless of what field you're in. It's all about trusting in the work of Christ. That's the gospel. That's one of our, our main core values is the gospel and understanding the gospel, understanding that it's Jesus' work, not mine, that saves me. It's Jesus' work that sustains me, not me. Allows me to understand truly what grace is and to be able to rest in Him. And that leads us to a place where we can confidently cry out to God and seek the Lord and turn to Him in prayer. Listen to this quote from Thomas Brooks, an old Puritan. He says, Ah, how often, Christians, God kissed you at the beginning of prayer and spoke in peace to you in the midst of prayer and filled you with joy and assurance upon the close of prayer. Have you ever noticed that in the, those moments of, of just tension and, and struggle, that if we just cry out to the Lord and we just spend time in His Word and in prayer, how He calms our spirit? He does. And what a beautiful truth to know that the Creator of all things cares enough for us that He would hear us, wants us, to call out to Him, that He wants us to seek Him in prayer, and that He's willing to listen. And it's that that leads David into the last two verses of this psalm, which is into a delighted response. Verse 5 says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Notice the vast transition in David's heart from when he started the psalm to where he is now. From where he takes his discouragement and his brokenness to the Lord in prayer. He has literally moved from despair to delight. And his delight comes from what we find in verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. Now, 
That's a term that you see time and time again in Scripture, especially in the Psalms. It's the Hebrew word hesed, which literally means this covenantal, unfailing, never-ending love of God. That He never stops loving us, no matter our circumstances, no matter our failures, no matter our sins, no matter our struggles, God never stops. Never gives up. And that has brought David to this place of delight as he's trusting and he's rejoicing in the salvation of the Lord because regardless of David turning his eye away from him, God never turned his face from David. And David is remembering that. He starts the psalm, How long will you forget me forever? To this place of, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. And now I rejoice in your salvation. See, as he turns to God in prayer, David is reminded of God's goodness and salvation. Now, again, David had lived before Jesus ever was born and Jesus ever died on the cross, but God, he trusted in the Lord's leading and the Lord's salvation. He knew the promises of God, that God would send a Redeemer, and he trusted completely in that. And even though he had moments of doubt and moments of weakness, as we see in the beginning of the psalm, he would ultimately land in this place of trusting in the never-ending love of God. And he begins to delight in the salvation that God provides. And he begins to rejoice in the salvation that God provides. And it gives us a good reminder that as you look to Jesus during moments of desperation and reflect on His graciousness and salvation, your moments of darkness will be illumined by the hope you have in Him. So it doesn't matter what you faced, what you are facing, or what you will face. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. Which is kind of hopeful for us. Because in a world and in a life where everything rapidly changes, He stays the same. He's the constant. And, and that's kind of where we find David. He's trusting in the steadfast love of the Lord. And verse 6, he says, I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. So, David goes from how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted to pray and consider and answer me? O oh Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken to this place where he's now in 5 and 6. But I've trusted in your steadfast love. That is the unending, never failing, continually constant covenantal love of God and he says my heart rejoice shall rejoice in your salvation and I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me his remembering the goodness and steadfast love of God has led him to worship to delight in the nature and the character and the goodness 
of Almighty God. And the truth of that is that the only appropriate response to Jesus is worship. Because he is creator, sustainer, savior, unchanging. And as we remember the goodness and the greatness of God, we are led to singing. We are led to worship. And so maybe I want to ask this question. How are you responding to the Lord's goodness in your life? Are you resting in his work? Are you resting in his plans for you? Are you resting in where he has you? Are you resting in the situations that are surrounding you, the the trials that you may have or may are going through? And are you worshiping through him through the midst of the darkest storms? Right? Because it's easy to doubt. Right? Remember, the disciples, another storm, another boat, Jesus is asleep, storm's raging, they think they're going to die, and they're all, like, terrified. And they wake him up. Aren't, aren't you concerned for us at all? And what's he do? He calms the storm. Only God can do that. See, most of us have probably found ourselves in verses 1 through 4. But we, we can't go to 5 and 6 unless we trust in Him. Right? We are tempted to work harder to try to check more boxes, to, sit, to serve more, to, to live better, to you name it, to try to improve our own circumstances, our own trials, our own temptations. But we can't, and we'll never make it to five and six. Unless we do what we read in 5 and 6, and that's trust in the steadfast love of the Lord. So unless I'm trusting in Jesus above all other things, I can't worship. Not truly. I can worship other things, but I can't truly worship in the joy of my Savior until I trust in His love for me. Now, again, it's when, not if, you face life's difficulties. Remember to turn to Jesus and trust Him. And he will be faithful to move you from despair to delight. 
I'm not saying from pain to ease, but he'll move you to joy as you trust in him above all things. And you have to trust in him above all things. You can't trust in yourself because you know what? You'll fail. I fail. You can't trust in your spouse or your children or your jobs or anything else. Because you know what? They'll all fail. He will not. So rest in him. Let's pray. Father, again, we want to thank you for your graciousness. To know that our confidence is in you and you alone. God, that we would be a people who keep our eyes ever on you, resting in who you are, trusting in your work, not ourselves. And God, for those who are here that may not have been to the point where they've trusted you with their life for salvation, God, I pray that you will make yourself known to them today so that they can taste and see that the Lord is good. So they can come to you and and find the joy of true salvation. God, for the many others who are Christians who have surrendered their lives to you, but may be walking through really painful times, God, give them the encouragement to know that you are there and you always will be. It's hard to not, it's hard to trust in you, Father. Give us the faith to do so. In Jesus' name we pray.